here in the nor Northern Hemisphere, didn't you feel like Magda was, that was like the most professional Advent candle lighting ever? I'm glad we didn't have Magda do it first because then everyone would be intimidated about like, that's a Lutheran, that's how Lutherans do the Advent candle reading, lifelong Lutherans, so way to go, Magda. But uh, here in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, Advent is the spiritual preparation, as Magda was saying, for waiting, for um, longing, for hoping, for working for a better world, uh, and for enduring a long, cold winter. So by Christmas Eve, we start to wonder, maybe the tide is turning, maybe we're not going to lose all contact with the sun. Uh, we begin to catch glimpses of the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. So because tomorrow, um, the month, which is the Monday before Christmas, um, it's the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year. I looked it up. Seven hours, 49 minutes, and 42 seconds of daylight, which is eight hours, 48 minutes, and 38 seconds shorter than the longest day in June. I had no idea how little daylight there is in the winter in Michigan. Um, that's an hour less than half the daylight in, in June time. But, but there's a sacredness to the winter sol solstice that is um, pretty re recognized by all people and traditions because it's the last day of the waning sunlight and it marks like an inflection point. Um, every day thereafter has more sunlight each day. It's also Susan King's birthday. Um, anyone else have a birthday uh, tomorrow on the winter solstice? Any kids have a birthday tomorrow on the winter solstice? Be great to put it in the chat. We need uh, we need a lift uh, when we're in the days of winter such as we are um, leading up to winter. I guess winter starts tomorrow. But, um, but after that, after tomorrow, starting Tuesday, there's a little more daylight every day. Thank God. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Pass the Pop-Tarts. So prepare thyself to see the first light at the end of the tunnel. Um, in 2008, might have been 2009, I'm not sure, um, I developed um, something I never experienced before. It was a case of claustrophobia. And... Um, for a few months, it got worse and worse, meaning at first I noticed it in an elevator, and then I would notice it in stairwells, and then I'd notice it in the car. It was like getting worse and worse, this uh, claustrophobia feeling. And I remember driving to New York City and having to go some, you know, there's some pretty long tunnels through the mountains there, I guess in Pennsylvania or wherever on I-80. And I'm gripping the wheel so tight as I, you know, um, the, the tunnel's coming up. You know it's a long tunnel when they have signs in advance saying there's a tunnel coming, put on your headlights, you know, get your oxygen out, all that kind of stuff. I was really stressed out and I'm in the tunnel and I'm, I'm you know, white knuckling it. I'm trying to use all my poke coping mechanisms, my breathing and all that. I'm, I'm like, Nancy, talk to me, talk to me. <laughs> and, um, and I saw the light at the end of the tunnel and I was like, whoever came up with that phrase, the light at the end of the tunnel must have been, must have been claustrophobic. Um, and if ever there were a year collectively when we all felt a little claustrophobic with eyes peeled for light at the end of the tunnel, um, it's got to be this year. Um, at our Christmas Eve service, like um, 
Cassie was saying, bring a candle if you can. And during Sandal Silent Night, if you can, turn off all the lights uh, where you are, because then the candles show and we'll see a screen lit with a bunch of candles. So our candles can so be so many lights at the end of this tunnel. Um, but light at the end of the tunnel or no, we, we are in a tunnel now. Um, so I want to offer a nugget from the Psalms that I thought might be helpful. It was helpful to me as I noticed it about our self-talk, which can get a little funky in a season of mental um, claustrophobia, so to speak. So um, I'm just guessing many of us have been um, noticing a certain negative turn in our self-talk perhaps lately. Um, you know, if we experience anxiety or worry or depression, um, usually that manifests as a certain kind of um, finger wagging, Debbie Downer, chicken little uh, self-talk inside our heads. Uh, I don't know if you've, you've probably caught yourself um, in a worry patch and you step back to say, whoa, what kind of story about myself have I been telling myself these past five minutes? I mean, how did I go from feeling a little dryness in my throat to being on a ventilator, you know, like inside my head? Who's running the projector in there? Um, Self-talk is our least examined form of communication. When we, when we talk to ourselves, um, it's, it's so hidden. When we talk to others, we can see how our words register, how, how they please or displease or surprise or bore or anger or sadden someone. Um, we may hear our own spoken words and wonder, wait, did I really mean that? Um, but our self-talk um, can run like in the same ruts for years without being like even noticed or examined. Uh, we normalize to it like living next to a freeway. So. Uh, noticing how we talk to ourselves is really a key practice in shaping how we talk to ourselves. So the Psalms um, in, the, in the Hebrew Bible, the book of Psalms, 150 Psalms, are the closest thing I think we have to inner dialogue in Scripture. Perhaps in, in the writings of antiquity, uh, the Psalms are like a window into the human psyche, and because it comes from, the Psalms come from a very different uh, culture, like so removed from our culture, historically, culturally, in so many different ways, so removed from our culture, the inner dialogue that's brought to light in the Psalms, um, it hasn't passed through our, our contemporary modern filters. So it's more raw and, and in a way it's more honest it's, it's, it's like the comedian who says things out loud that we may think, but we know not to say. And we kind of sense ourselves, maybe even inside ourselves. Um, so in the Psalms, we have these otherwise private thoughts and feelings expressed. And we get to hear the sort of things we say to ourselves only in the middle of the night stumbling into the bathroom or you know, under pressure, under duress, or in a times of exaltation or, or other intense emotion. And, and so the Psalms are, are, can be painfully honest. They can be quite vulnerable. And as it turns out, um, the Psalms introduce an alternate way of talking from ourselves to ourselves. And, and it's a way that kind of opens up space in our heads when it's getting a little funky and cramped in there. This particular form of self-talk 
um, it's not frequent in the Psalms, but uh, but it stands out even more when it occurs. Um, and and in the Psalms where it does occur, it um, uh, attention is drawn to it in various ways. So the first example is in Psalm 42, about a third of the way through the book of Psalms. Um, and there's a line repeated two further times in the Psalm. And then as if to draw our attention, the same words are used in Psalm 43, word for word. And they go like this. Why so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? It's, it's not, I am, I am downcast, but why so downcast, O my soul? As if I were to say to myself, Ken, why so downcast? As if I were truly curious to know and was waiting to see what I would say in response. So in this form of address, the psalmist is observing himself from within himself, speaking to himself, almost as if he were speaking to another person. Um, Robert Alter, um, the Hebrew scholar, uh, translates this a little differently. His version goes like this for Psalm uh, 42. I think it's verse 5, not sure. Um, how bent my being, how you moan for me. How bent my being, how you moan for me, speaking to himself within himself. The same form of self-address occurs again in Psalm 103. Um, like the beginning of the final third of the, of the book of Psalms, where this time it's repeated three times, but with the added emphasis of being the first and the last line of the psalm, and it goes, bless the Lord, O my soul. Again, the speaker speaking to himself, like my daughter Oceana sometimes says to herself out loud, you got this Oceana, when she's like doing something that's a little bit hard or stretching her. Um, and that translated, uh, that term that's translated uh, my soul or soul in particular is, is very important. And it's a little bit confused um, in English, I think. Um, so the Hebrew is nefesh. In the English, that would be uh, uh, transliterated N-E-P-H-E-S-H, nefesh. It doesn't mean um, nefesh, doesn't mean my religious self. Uh, even less, it doesn't mean myself apart from my body, which ho is how it's sometimes used. Again, Robert Alter, the uh, Hebrew scholar, says it uh, translates it, my being, my nefesh, my being. So the line in Psalm 42 is, how bent my being, how you moan for me. Like the psalmist is notice his being moaning for him, uh, if you're picking up what I'm laying down. Um, nefesh is more like the way soul is used in soul music, where, where it means not my like incidental self, uh, but my inner essential self. So where did this term, when it was introduced in Genesis 2, when God breathed into Adam, meaning human, not man. Um, and it says the human became a living being, a nefesh. So the soul is the self-animated. Um, when James Brown sang, I, I think he, it was a cover of a Sam and Davis uh, song, I'm a soul man, it was a declaration of his essential, his living, breathing, embodying, animated humanity. You just, just think of that lyric in the context of white supremacy. 
where the founding document of your country claimed that enslaved people from Africa were two thirds of a person. And many of the slavers claimed that these people didn't have a soul in the same way that people might claim that non-human animals don't have a soul, which I, I don't think is the case. They have animated being. So I'm a soul man was a declaration. I'm a soul man, you know, e even that construction, I am a soul man is closer to the biblical uh, construction, not I have a soul, but I am a soul. I am a living, embodied, God-breathed being. So when a person addresses themselves in this way, why so downcast, oh my soul, or bless the Lord, oh my soul, it is speaking to oneself with a sense of, of dignity, the dignity of the person addressed, that the person addressed is a God-breathed being alive with divine life. So that's the theology of it. Now let's get to the psychology of it. Um, so as it turns out there's a research psychologist um, at University of Michigan, Ethan Cross, who did a study on self-talk and, and demonstrated that when people say, I am thus and so, anxious, afraid, happy, whatever, a different part of the brain is lit up than when they use their name rather than the first person. So they use the third person address in grammatical terms. Um, and that when a person uses their name to address themselves, in my case, it would be Ken is angry, sad, anxious, whatever. They are actually better able to exercise or modulate um, their inner state. So if I were to say to myself, Ken is angry, I would be better able to modulate my anger than a person who says, I am angry. So in other words, how we address ourselves inside our head matters. And addressing ourselves from within ourselves, by ourselves, as though we have dignity, um, the same dignity we would want to recognize in any person made in the image of God, you know, the kind of person we would want to be a good neighbor to. Um, the kind of person we would want to love, even if they were our enemy, because they bear the divine image. You know, that's important. We, and, and we owe it to ourselves under God to do that from time to time. And there's something um, kind of handy or maybe even a little magical about using a third person form of address for certain kinds of, of self-talk. So to back up a moment, there's there's an advantage to saying when we're anxious, not simply, I am anxious, which labels ourselves anxious in the same way that I might say I'm left-handed. It's like an enduring trait. It's actually better to say to ourselves, um, I feel anxious. So at least there's a recognition that this is a feeling and an impermanent phenomenon uh, in motion. It's an emotion that's moving along. And when we shift to the third person address and say to ourselves, in my case, Ken is feeling anxious, that's even better because it tends to stimulate compassion toward ourselves. Our, our brain just more easily is compassionate to ourselves with that form of address, um, just as we would feel compassion toward a friend feeling anxious. So the psalm is playing with the same set of tools with this phrase, oh my soul, 
which evokes the same feeling as like, oh, my child or oh, my friend. So that the O oh in oh, my soul is the equivalent of an exclamation point. And it represents kindness or compassion uh, toward oneself. So what, what's the point in our current context? We're all going through an extraordinary time. Um, it's a global pandemic. It's made worse by dysfunctional politics with a rising tide of the ugliest things in our society. Um, white supremacy, corruption, narcissism, lying, all in high places, cockamamie conspiracy theories, gaining a hearing, affecting people we know and love, maybe family members, all of it wrapped in the most grotesque religious and patriotic talk. Um, to call it a witch's brew is like a, a slander of witches. Um, what human being in such a setting wouldn't have an uptick of anger, of fear, of worry, of moments of hopelessness, you know, all mixed on top of our ordinary neurotic forms of guilt and shame. Like, wow, this, this is a lot. Um, in such a time as this, we can do two things. Um, one is urged on us by nature itself, that we keep our eyes peeled for light at the end of the tunnel in the form of daylight waxing again, not waning. Um, on any day the sun is shining, we pause a little to notice it shining and if possible stop, you know, step outside and, and be in the sunlight. Um, Andrew was uh, in one of my small groups. He, he's moved recently from, um, from Phoenix and he was describing just how boring it is in Phoenix with like sun every day, sun every day. And, and how it, it wasn't until he came to Michigan that he actually like noticed the sun and appreciated the sun. And I'm like, Andrew, you just got to talk like this all the time in the winter for us Michiganders because he was, he was appreciating the, the change and being actually able to notice the sun shining. So, you know, maybe during this time when it, when it is dark outside, we find a quiet place to sit and we turn out the lights and we light a candle and we regard the candle as the light at the end of our present tunnel. So that's one thing. And the other is, is urged on us um, by this form of address found in the Psalms, Oh my soul. This form of address that invites us to regard ourselves as God breathed into being beings. Not just I have a soul, but I am a soul man. I am a child of God and I am determined to regard myself with the dignity and worth and compassion that every child of God deserves. So um, we're going to transition to a time of um, guided meditation. This will take a couple of minutes. Um, so if you're free to, you can um, settle in your chair, plant your feet firmly on the ground, maybe notice the feel of the floor, the ground underneath your feet. Feel your sense of connection to the earth. And then just for a moment, notice the weight of the body on the chair. And if you can kind of sink into yourself and take a couple of nice deep breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth. 
And then if you haven't already, you can go ahead and close your eyes if you like. And now take a little time to call to mind um, someone in your life, past or present, who has shown you some form of unconditional love. I, I don't mean like perfect unconditional love all the time, but someone who, let's say, channeled unconditional love to you in, in a way that you, you saw it and you felt it and you experienced it. And it doesn't have to be a person. It could be a, a dogs are really great at unconditional love. Um, you know, I might think of my childhood dog, Duchess. <laughs> so just call that someone to mind uh, along with the feeling of full acceptance as you are love. And now let your mind shift to an imaginary scene, like a, a dreamlike kind of scene. Um, let's say it's the middle of the night, you can't sleep for whatever reason. So you get up and in this like dreamlike way, you get dressed and you go outside in the dark to find this person who shows you full acceptance love. Like maybe to have a cup of hot chocolate with them. Now all the houses in the neighborhood are dark, but there's one house with a light on and that's where they are, this person. Uh, you're glad to see they're up. You approach the house, you knock on the door and they let you in. It turns out to your pleasant surprise that they've been waiting for you. And so for the remainder of our time, just focus on those moments after they've opened the door, let you in, you're bathed in the warm light inside and they recognize you and they say your name as though they were glad to see you. Let's just take about 30 seconds now to Sit with the feeling that scene evokes and the sound of your name spoken by that person. Go ahead. Okay, you can open your eyes now. Take a stretch if you want as uh, Diane leads us in the candle lighting time.